Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, November the 16th. This is episode 2984 of the Survival Podcast. You know, when we get into this time of year, I do begin to throttle back a little bit on my effort, uh, especially the week of Thanksgiving and then a little bit in between then and Christmas and then right before Christmas and Then I shut down for the end of the year. But I try not to do that too much. And I try to make sure there's a couple weeks of really great mind-expanding content. Even though I had to do a um, rewind yesterday for my voice, and you can hear it's still a little strained, um, this is one of those weeks. I have a great episode coming for you tomorrow with uh, Gray Wolf from Polarity Exchange to talk about new things in cryptocurrency. That will be mind-expanding. We have, of course, the expert counsel show that we'll do on Thursday. We have Outback with Jack on Friday. Today we're going to do something that's probably going to be the one that does the most mental stretching of any show that we do this week. It's called Time for Humanity to Grow Up. Again, episode 2984. Today I'm going to talk to you about nine great evils that we must grow beyond as humans if we're to make the world a better place for us and our posterity, if you want to think about it that way. When I say posterity, I, I'm not talking about your grandchildren. I'm talking about seven generations down the train, the chain. Um, and notice I said nine great evils, not the nine great evils. Not the nine, right? Nine of the great evils in the world today. I think they're possibly the biggest evils. I believe the first one on the list, which we'll get to in a moment, is the biggest evil. That on, honestly, without it, it would make it very difficult for the other evils, maybe not to exist, but to have anywhere near the power that they do. You might want to try to guess at what it is. And then I'm going to give you nine simple but not easy solutions to them. And I'm, I'm looking to expand your mind today. And I'm not looking for everybody to buy into an ideology. In fact, I'm going to mention some ideologies that, that talk about a lot of these things that I think we're just not ready for yet. I, I'm looking for everybody to pick a few things they can do in each or most of the aspects that you can do to improve your life. And you may find as I go through this today, well, Jack, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing that, too. Maybe there's a few more you can do. Maybe there's some of your friends or family or contacts that you can share this episode with. Um, I was actually going to call it, it's time for humanity to grow the F up. And, and not use profanity, but kind of emphasize it with that in the, in the title. And I decided not to. This would be a very clean episode uh, because I do think it will be one for sharing. With that, before we dig on into it, And as a reminder, when we get into the main topic, I will be live streaming on YouTube during this podcast. If you happen to hear anything that kind of infers that that's going on, that's what's going on. If you want to be part of the live streams, the best thing you can do is get in our Telegram channel or follow me on social media to make sure that you see the announcements about a half hour before I do go live to remind you that it's going to happen. Anyway, with that, let's uh, remind you about our two sponsors of the day today. Sponsor of the day today, number one is ButcherBox.com. I love ButcherBox. They're one of the sponsors I have that I actually take barter for. I get the same great big box of meat that you can get from ButcherBox uh, as, as a member of this audience uh, sent to me as compensation. I don't take money from ButcherBox. I take meat. I'd like to get paid meat from a, for a lot of things. That would be great. 
you'll hear today how meat is actually a big solution to uh, a lot of the so-called environmental problems that we have today. In fact, it's one of the best solutions if it's done right. Butcher Box does it right with pastured poultry, pastured pork, and grass-fed beef and more. Check them out today at ButcherBox.com. Remember, they do a discount for members of the MSB. Next up today, John Pugliano with the Wealth Studying Podcast. Um, there is no doubt, there's absolutely no doubt, that part of the walk to freedom today is building real wealth into your life. John Pugliano can help you do that. He is an investment manager. He's an amazing guy. You can learn more from him. And even if you don't want his services directly, he puts out a wonderful podcast called the Wealth Studying Podcast. He was a big hit, as always, at the recent workshop. You want to check out John and what he's doing at wealthsteading.com. Next up, I, uh, you know, this is another sponsor, and it's not their day, but... I wanted to tell you about this anyway and make sure it got on the air so that you knew it was going on. And I don't know how long it's going on. I would imagine at least till Black Friday since it's called a Black Friday sale. But I was really excited that I got to bring Ridge Wallet on not so long ago. Um, I, I should say four years ago now as a sponsor. And when I brought Ridge on, they were a very small company. They were a very small brand. And now every time I go shopping, I see somebody with a Ridge Wallet. Um, often when I pay with it, somebody's like, oh, that's the Ridge Wallet when I'm paying, you know, when I'm using my Ridge Wallet. Uh, it's a great product. I won't get deep into it today. I just want you to know they have a site-wide 15% sale on everything on their site right now. That's not just the wallets. It's the backpacks, the phone cases, some of their new products, some cool stuff Ridge has come out with. Um, they're just, it's a great product and a great brand. The good news, and the reason I'm bringing it up today, just to make sure you know, is if you're an MSB member, as you know, you get 10% off everything at Ridge Wallet. The 10% stacks on the 15. So it's not a 25%, but it's close. So you get 15% off, right? And uh, then you get another 10% of the 85% that you're paying. It comes out to 23.5% off on everything at Ridge. So a little extra today, but just so you didn't miss it, because I don't know exactly. And I, they didn't reach out to me. Dawn from the audience said, hey, did you know? And I was like, I did not. So I have a write-up today for it on the website as well. But Ridge.com, everything there, 15% off. And an MSB member, you take another 10% off. That really helps your members, membership pay for itself if you're a member. So let's dig on into this today. And if this is your first podcast where you uh, are listening to me, and you're not used to the fact that this is a solutions-based podcast, the first 50% of the show, the first half, you may think all this guy does is complain about things and point to problems. The show is designed that way today. I'm going to go through, I'm going to go through nine great evils that I, I believe really prevent humanity from growing up, and then I'm going to give solutions to each of those evils. So we're going to, we're going to do it that way. That way I, I will kind of move along better, and we won't have a show go really long. And I, I have a feeling if I start digging into the solutions and the problem at the same time, we may be more likely to do so. It's a, it's a good presentation technique anyway. Go through and define all your problems and then come back with all your solutions, and that way your audience is left feeling empowered. But coming where we are at the beginning of this, again, I, I was going to call this episode um, Time for Humanity to Grow the F Up, and I figured that might turn some people off even if I didn't use profanity in the show. I'm bringing it up here because I think it's important to understand that emphasis. And that can be frick or frack for you if you don't like the one that rhymes with truck, right? That, that lets you decide for yourself. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening to this because somebody shared it with you, and that's too much freedom and liberty for you to have to make up your own mind of what that means, the rest of this, I'm going to, I think you're going to fall under the category of one of my problems that I have with a lot of like big solutions and big ideas is that a lot of people aren't ready for it yet. And what this comes from is over our workshop, a very transformative experience for a lot of people. And 
transformative always for me, but also watching other people have those moments where they, they have realizations about their lives and what they want to accomplish, and they start to form relationships, and they realize there's people there to help them. That, that transforms everybody around it. So it got me thinking about the fact that we haven't really talked about permaculture as a deep dive very much lately, though we keep bringing pieces and parts of it in. I've kind of integrated the audience with it, the, the core long-term audience, to where sometimes I forget, yeah, you talked about it a lot, but it's been a year, right? You know, I try not to be repetitive here. But then how does all the rest play into this? So I started thinking about cryptocurrency, entrepreneurship, voluntarism, etc. And at the same time, I kind of played around with some stuff this weekend, uh, or actually Sunday after the workshop was over, in an attempt to kind of reboot my mind, looking into some things like the Venus Project and their concept of a resource-based economy, which I think is somewhat utopian, but also has a lot of value that we can take from it. And when I, when I look at these entities like that, um, where they talk about this world where you know no one ever needs to be hungry, I agree sort of. I agree sort of. In fact, I think it's part of us not being grown up. And what I mean by that is, when I look at this planet, And I look at how much abundance there is. I believe there is no reason for anybody to live in complete poverty and misery other than by their own choice of action. Period. But I see a lot of people who are not unwilling to work. They're not unwilling to contribute to society. They're not unwilling to be good to other people. And they're living in abject poverty. And there is no true scarcity. We have artificial scarcity under systems of control. And that led me to kind of break down and think about these nine great evils. And again, it's not the nine great evils. Like, these are the only ones. I think there are our biggest problems, though. I think if we can begin to solve these, we can begin to solve just about anything else that comes up. The other thing that got missed, because I, I couldn't do this as a, uh, a video today, I had a crash of, well, I didn't have a crash StreamYard. The whole site went down, so I would... Right in the middle of the beginning of my stream, I, I, I couldn't stream anymore. Um, I'm wearing a shirt today that you can't see, but it's from uh, John Willis at SOE Tactical Gear. And it says, think, big giant letters. And there's an American flag. And then it says, while it's still legal. And if you just saw that shirt from a distance and you didn't think, which is kind of the point, I think you would look at it as it's a really patriotic shirt calling on Americans to think. But I think that we need to look at the flag as a word. And it changes things a little bit. Think America while it's still legal. And that's where I'm coming today from. I'm an American speaking to Americans. I have an audience that's global. I have a tremendous number of audience members in many of the countries that have English as a first or second language, uh, specifically the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, etc., Ireland. Um, but I even have a lot of people that I, I imagine speak English that live in other countries throughout Europe, South America, etc. I'd say about 20% of the whole audience is international. That's a lot of people. I'm not cutting you out of this. I'm just not telling you what to do with your your country. I don't think it's my place. You take from this what you see fit, and you apply it to yourself. I think that part of growing up as a people is to learn, maybe you should pick your own backyard up before you bitch about your neighbors. And maybe you should help your neighbor pick up his backyard before you bitch about the person that lives two towns over or two states over or halfway around the world. Like, we have no place right now to start telling other people how to live. In spite of the fact that I think there are some people in, in parts of the world that, you know, they're not, they're completely unready to, to talk about any of the things we want to talk about today. And this is where I, 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 I diverge with entities like the Venus Project. 
the, the world you paint is a great world. Good. If we can get there, great. But I see two major problems with it. And one is many people, even very poor people in the world, especially outside the Western world, do not want it. I just spoke to a U.S. Army soldier that was at my workshop. He was part of the Afghan refugees coming into Germany. They were setting up to, to take in like 80,000 people in two weeks. And they did everything they could to accommodate those people. Here's one example of not ready for this. They had men starting fights and spitting on soldiers who were trying to help them because they brought in portajons because you got to do something with a waste of that many people. And these people were defecating between the tents on the ground. And when told to use the bathrooms, they said, you're trying to westernize us. They were upset there was no hole into the ground. And so they wouldn't use it. These are people that just got on a plane claiming they needed freedom and a better life. And we heard all the tear-jerking crap on TV about it, completely unvetted, by the way. And I'm not putting these people down. In fact, I want you to not be angry with these people. You don't know their life. You didn't walk in their shoes. And they're there because we let them come there. When I say we, I mean our government did. But when they were told, you have to use the bathroom, they spit on the man that told them that. And this particular soldier got between them, and I'll leave it there. But if you think that person's ready to hear about 3D-printed homes and solar panels, they're probably not. So when I say there's many people that don't want it, I'm not just talking about the, 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 the psychopath billionaires who don't want to give up the control that the capital gives them. I'm talking about many poor people as well. And I think we're simply not ready as a species for something like this on a grand scale. The growth comes in phases. And with humanity as a species, phase one of the growth is those that go first. And instead of talking about it, we need to do it. So here we go. Let's go through nine great evils. And then we're going to talk about a solution to each one. Not all the solutions, but the most important key solution that we can do something about. I did not rank these evils in order. Like, this is the greatest, and this is the second, and this is the third, or the order they need to be addressed in, with the exception of the first. I would call this the primary evil. The evil which empowers all the rest of the evils that we're going to discuss today. And I'd like you to sit for a moment and think, and see if you can figure out, before I tell you what it is, what that greatest evil is. And it's a system. I'm going to give you a couple of the other systems on the list so that you kind of have an idea of the way I've categorized these and see if you can think about it. Oh, the public education system is one. The industrial pharmaceutical system is one. The industrial ag and food systems is one. The mass media system, the military industrial complex. Now, can you think of the system that is the primary evil, the first evil, the greatest evil? The evil that allows the most control of humanity and the most prevention from us of solving all of these problems. If you haven't guessed it already yet, I'll let you off the hook and tell you what it is. It's the monetary system. We live in a fractional reserve monetary system that is completely and totally fascist. And worse than fascist, it's a fabrication. It's not real. There's no real rules. You can create a system of economics that is literally created on a computer. We have one. It's called Bitcoin. We'll talk about it during the solution phase. But it has rules. There's a means by which a unit comes into creation. There's a means by which it's acquired. There's a limit, and the limit is known. And no entity can just decide to change it whenever they want to, to their own benefit. 
That's completely the opposite of the economic system we have today we call fractional reserve, where money can be permit, printed at will. But have you ever thought about what that really means? It means that the people that are closest to the faucet where the money comes out also control the faucet. And when they want more money, they don't print it and put it into the economy, not directly anyway, they put it into their hands. And they're able to use it to support all the other systems that we're going to talk about today. And they're able to use it to steal at least 10% of your savings every year of your life for eternity, as long as we have it. Imagine that you put, you did, you did a great job this year, you had some kind of like big win, and you were able to save $100,000 under your mattress in cash. It's as safe as anything could be because somebody does, nobody knows it's there, and you do, and you have enough safe in your floor, cord into the floor of your home, a drop safe. $100,000 in stacks of hundreds, right? Do you know what it's worth a year later? It's real and real spending power in normal times, about $90,000. They can tell you inflation is 2% all they want. When they take away things like the cost of housing and the cost of like like-kind food, etc., and energy, well, it doesn't exactly tell the truth anymore. So that means that we're living in a system where the people that have the most money and the most power can take 10% of the wealth of the general population at will annually forever. And then there is no way for us to get out of the holes that we're in economically, and therefore we're subject to their controls. If this wasn't true, people right now wouldn't be worried about no jab, no job, especially people that have been around a few years in the professional world. They'd have enough wealth put away to weather the storm and to wait them out. But they don't. Most Americans are two paychecks from poverty. It's partly because we don't save and we don't invest, but it's also because what we do save is eroded. And therefore, we're disincentivized from saving. And the only solution that we have is what? Your 401k. Put 10% of your money in a 401k. Hmm. Steal 10% and tell you to take 10% more and put it into a 401k. Interesting correlation of numbers there. They came up with that number. Interesting. Very interesting to me. But what does it mean? Put it into your 401k. What is the primary investment? Inside a 401k. Stocks. Stocks, mutual funds. Right? Okay, who owns those corporations? Where do those corporations get money anytime they need it? They call it a debt, a loan. And they get it at really, really cheap rates. They get it from the faucet that we just talked about. So you take your hard-earned life force. Start thinking of your money as your life force. You put it into the system that funds the companies that already can get all the money that they need from the system that stole the money from you in the first place. You talk about being on, you know, basically, you know, one of those exercise machines, a treadmill. You're, you're on a treadmill while people throw rocks at you and they hang a carrot out in front of you. And this isn't in opposition to capitalism. This isn't capitalism. This is what many people on the left have right when they condemn the capitalist system. It's just not capitalism. It's capital control. It's the control of the creation of capital in absence of anything of value behind it. We live in a world with all these resources, with such abundance, and yet they control the means, of the, the means by which that's acquired and controlled. And they do it because they control the creation of the money, And they change the rules to suit themselves whenever they need to. And I'm going to leave it there because I could go a whole show on nothing but this. 
But if you took that away from them, I'm not going to say that the rest of this couldn't be done, but it can never be done to the level that it's being done today. Because the first thing you realize you need when you want to set up your own system is resources. And then the first thing you realize when you need resources is, I have to acquire them. And if you don't have, like, if I need a tree, if I need wood and there's a tree in my backyard and I have a saw, I can make wood. But if I have to get them from somebody else or something else or somewhere else, I need money. And they'll always be able to outmaneuver you as long as they control the creation of the money itself. The next one is the public education system. I've wailed on this for years. Years and years and years and years I've wailed on this. And it's absolutely the case. I mean 100% the case that it deserves everything that I've brought to bear on it. But I want you to think back to the great evil. Each one of these, we're going to just say a little bit about it, monetary system. If they weren't completely able to control the system of economics through controlling the money itself, then they wouldn't be able to trap you in these positions where you have to say, well, I can't afford I can't afford it. I can't afford to educate my own child. It wasn't that long ago. Even though most people did send their kids to school, that one parent stayed home. We were boxed in to a two-income family, not choice but necessity. At first, it was a choice. Women, be empowered. Women, you should have careers too. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but that's what they were selling you. It's not what you were getting. What you were getting was addicted to a system of economic controls, so addicted that you couldn't see a way to live without it, and when enough people became addicts for long enough, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. There are ways to do this. Well, we're saving solutions for part two. The public education system is a great evil because it literally takes children from their families and takes a completely different set of morals and ethics and literally installs it in your children. And I use the word install for a very important reason. When you get a piece of software for your computer, what do you do with it? If you put it, if you take, let's say old school, comes on a disc. Put the disc next to your computer, what happens? Nothing. It's a disc, it's sitting there, your computer can't run that program, it can't run that software. You put the disc into a drive. You click install.exe, or you download it and do the same thing now, right? And it installs that software on your computer, and that, that interfaces with your computer's operating system and tells your computer how to function when X happens do Y, and generate Z. That's software, installation, and the result thereof on a computer. This is what they're doing to your children. They're installing this system of indoctrination like exactly what it is. It is the software that goes into the hardware that is your child's brain. And if you control that, what hope does a parent have? What hope does a parent have? Zero. Why do you think they want to do it? If you take a current generation and change the software that runs their ethical and moral code, you have a different country in 20 years. You have a different world in 20 years. That could be for good. It could be for evil. If you look at what they're teaching children now, absolute scientific not fact. Let, let, let's take away the opinions Okay? Let's take away the opinions. If you want somebody to reach a logical conclusion that you believe is a good conclusion, that is for the better, but you can't do it 
without lying, then the problem is yours, not mine. If you're afraid of facts, then your ideology is flawed. And what is being taught right now is either historically, scientifically, logically, or a combination of any two or all three, not true. Your children are being taught false as though true, so in their mind, false equals true. And they will never have well-centered, well-adjusted lives as human beings if that's successfully done to them. That's part of why it's a great evil. And that continues. When I say public ed, yeah, I'm talking about primary and primary and secondary, right? Um, but we get in like the university system, right? We get into like bachelor's degrees and advanced degrees and all. It's all in there too. Because everybody that's in that system came from, you know, grade school and junior high and high school. That was the progression they made. And then they go to college to become a teacher, and they go right back and teach in that institution. They never exist outside in the real world. And that, that cycle has been in motion all the way since the late 1800s. And it's gotten progressively worse every cycle, like any programming cycle based on errors would. And the errors are designed to create an obedient, controllable society that will not question anything. If that's not a great evil, I don't know what is. What about the institution and guilds that protect science as an authority? Now, one of my issues with a lot of these forward-looking organizations, again, like Venus Project, is they, they invoke science so frequently. And I know what they're saying. They're talking about the science that I love. Science is a process. But they seem to have simplified it to insinuate that if scientists say something, it's, you know, it's probably actually science. I don't need to say true, but it's science. Many things that scientists have said in the past turn out to be false. But they were the best we could do at the time. That's the purpose of science. Science is not to define the truth. It is, it is to define the best version of the truth we can develop for this time. We have now developed institutions where people defend their ideas 20, 30 years after they were codified into scientific theory. And they defend them ravenously, like a rabid dog. That in of itself cannot be science. If you were a great scientist, well-known, that put out this theory that advanced science incredibly over 20 or 30 years, I can understand why at first when some young new scientist proved that you were wrong, that there was another level, another layer, another option, you would at first not like that. I mean, that's my life's work. But your life's work did what it did. The fact that somebody went to the next step should make you should make you happy, should make you joyful. In fact, you should want to meet that person. You should want to see if you can help them. You should see if you want to push them up even further. What could push them up more than the idea that they disproved and the guy behind it who was known for it saying, this man is right. What could advance science more than that? But we don't do it. We don't do it. Because we have stopped seeing science as a process, as a method. And we kill, guild around it. Those that know permaculture are like, gilding is good. Gilding is where I take a tree and then I plant some shrubs and bushes and vines and I, I occupy all the layers and I have a rhizomial layer and I, I create a system where the plants 
help the other plants grow and develop and be healthier and repel insects and bring in pollinators. It's good. But what is it really doing? Because something that's good isn't always good, depending on the application. I believe owning a gun is good. I believe shooting somebody in the face with it who didn't do anything is bad, to make it blunt. So the purpose of a guild in permaculture is mutual support, but it's also the exclusion of that which we do not want. Nature abhorring a vacuum. If you build a food forest and you don't put vines in it, eventually nature will go, there's no vines here, and it will send vines. Maybe unproductive, choking, you know, jagged sticker vines that you don't want. So we install something like kiwi or muscadine to guild out, right? Unions are guilds. Trades organizations are guilds. The American Medical Association is a guild, okay? And a lot of the organizations that we see as purely scientific are guilds. They're designed to defend an ideology and keep others out, and then they're invoked, and this is rancid in science. When I really learned how bad it was, was when the COVID thing started. And I started looking at the illogical defense of the undefensible under the banner of so-called science and said, God, I knew medicine was bad. I knew pharmaceuticals was bad. I didn't know it was this bad. But when I started doing more research and I started reading like the research on invasive species, I found the same pattern over and over again. Some guy writes a thesis or a paper. He puts in a fact. The fact is backed by nothing. It's his opinion. But he's well known. Then 20 or 30 other papers attempting to receive the same grant money or similar grant money or make some other case for their own ideology, cite the first paper. And then we hear, the science is settled. All these papers by all these great minds have said the same thing. They've come to the same conclusion. Well, no, they haven't. You find out that the nine other brilliant thinkers simply reference the first paper, and the first paper is based on nothing. And that sounds ridiculous if you have any faith in science, but it's, it's being done. You can almost pick your branch of science. Take something that everybody knows that you feel is not quite right, start investigating it, and you will find examples of this. Science has become a gilded, protected authority, which leads to something that should never exist in science. The acceptance of a fallacy is a fact. The science has settled itself as a fallacy. There's no such thing as settled science. It doesn't exist. It can't be science if we say it's settled. All science can tell us is the best we know now. And this is a massive problem. Because we have been taught in that education system that science is the gold standard. And I believe when we use it as a process, it is. But when we don't use it as a process, it isn't. It is, it is nothing but fallacy under the cloak of perceived expertise. It's a terrible thing. And it's one of the greatest problems we have right now. And it climbs right into our next problem, the industrial pharmaceutical system. Modern medications have done wonderful things, and they've done terrible things. And I'm not even going to get into shots and jabs today. I'm going to leave that one alone. But I'm going to, I'm going to point to something that might look like it's a wonderful thing. All the drugs that enable a person with type 2 diabetes to live longer and to spend more time before they start losing their limbs than if those drugs didn't exist. And I'm not talking about just insulin. I'm talking about all the different drugs that a physician has the option to give somebody who has type 2 diabetes. Notice I said type 2. 
Type 2 diabetes is a lifestyle, a lifestyle disorder. It is not a disease or an illness in the way that we think of them. If you get the chicken pox, you got a virus, right? And then you got chicken pox because you got a virus. It's an illness. If you have type 1 diabetes, you have a genetic predisposition that your body will reach a point where it stops making insulin, even if you do everything right in your life. It's a disease or an illness as we think of it. Type 2 diabetes is a direct product of what you eat. And it's completely reversible. And there may, and I always say this because I get people that are mad and I don't have time to argue with you. I'll give you then. Maybe there's 1% that that's not true about. Maybe there's some gene that gets activated and even if you eat right, it won't go back. I don't know. But I know that in every real study I've ever looked at where you take obese people who are type 2 diabetic and correct their obesity, their type 2 diabetes goes away. Unless they've done it for so long that they've done so much damage that it can't. Right? So that's an example of, well, this looks like a good thing, but what happens when people learn, oh, there's a pill. I can take metformin, or I can take this, or I can take that. Oh, I can keep living this way. They go to their doctor, and their doctor says, you know, you have type 2 diabetes, but a lot of people your age do. Overall, you're in pretty good health. If your doctor tells you you're in pretty good health, and you have type 2 diabetes and sentences anywhere close to each other, fire your doctor. Your doctor's a moron. Right? But this idea that we can fix a problem with a prescription leads to more type 2 diabetes. Because there's no impetus to find the real problem. That's just one example. The bigger example, though, is since we live in a world that is, we must have profit in every industry all the time, and the profit must go up every year. A company that's incredibly profitable, but their earnings fall short of last year's earnings, will be punished by the market and go out of business, even if they do wonderful things and have a great product. It's an insane system. So now if we take that insane, driven by the monetary system, where they control the money, that we started out as the primary evil with. If we add that to pharmaceuticals, though, and you're Pfizer or Merck or J&J or whoever, what is your only choice? What is your only choice if you're going to give the market the growth it wants? To have more sick people to treat and to never cure an illness permanently. If, if any of these pharmaceutical companies started selling medications that permanently kill, cured these illnesses, the ones that can be cured with medicine anyway, They would at first be incredibly profitable, and very short thereafter, all of them would be in deep financial trouble under our current system of economics. They're literally led toward completely abhorrent, unethical, and even murderous behavior. Let's take a medication that's well-proven, and cheap, and it's off-patent, it's readily available. Let's change one little thing about it and repatent it and market it so that it's seen as the one you need to have now, even though it really doesn't do anything the other one didn't do. I'm not giving anybody a pass, but what choice do they have? If we're going to run that system, what choice do they have? The pharmaceutical industry cannot cure illnesses and diseases, even where it could, because if it does, it's a death sentence for the pharmaceutical industry. That's why it's a great evil. That doesn't mean there's nothing good from it. It just means the way it's being run is all kinds of wrong. And a big part of it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, the United States changed the laws. And if you remember when you were a kid, You run around playing in the dirt, but every once in a while you came in and sat in front of the TV. Your mom yelled at you, you were going to burn your eyes out if you were too close. You know, you adjusted the rabbit ears or the antenna outside and you watched your TV shows. You never saw happy people running around with stage four metastatic breast cancer and pretty music telling how wonderful your life would be as if you got this drug and then heard all these side effects and stuff like that at the end of the court. You didn't do that back then. It was illegal. 
It was illegal. Like I said, I'm talking as an American to Americans mostly today. It's illegal in most of the world. The pharmaceutical companies now spend about 10 times more money on marketing than they do on research and development. And that should tell you everything. It's one of the great evils that we have. The industrialized ag and food system, boy, I'll tell you what, those two go together, don't they? Most of the illnesses in America today that are chronic and widespread are lifestyle illnesses that are based completely on diet. With two problems, we eat the wrong food and the crap that's in our food is toxic and poisonous. And I want to also, though, reiterate here, what choice do they have? It's not a pass. It's how the system was designed. So that I can hire people off the street that are good people and they'll, they'll invoke my will without question because the system literally dictates the outcome. If I design a system right, look, look, before I go forward, just to make it really easy to understand, why can a person put up a bunch of money and invest in something like a McDonald's franchise, follow the blueprint they're given, and hire mostly teenagers and run a million dollar plus store and become successful running that store with teenagers. Is it because teenagers are really hardworking and have a lot of ambition and are incredibly smart and always want to do their best and are quickly adaptable to any situation, including one that requires independent thought after coming out of our shitty school system? No. We know it's not that. So what makes it where a McDonald's owner can hire a few adults in the room, so to say, and a whole bunch of kids and run a multi-million dollar store on the corner of a street. What makes that possible? It's the system. It is the system developed by Ray Kroc, who he ripped off from some other people, by the way, that systematizes things to where if I take this person, give them rudimentary training, and put them in this one place, they are going to put the fries into the packaging the way they're supposed to. Okay, so all these systems, especially when you get into the industry behind them, are designed with systems so... When you put a person with a Ph.D. into a pharmaceutical company, they're going to strive to invent a drug that will benefit the company. No matter how good a person they are, no matter how much they dreamed of curing cancer, they're going to go in that system and they're going to make a drug that benefits the company's bottom line. If you put somebody with a degree in poultry science into a company like um, Pilgrim's Pride right, or Tyson, they're going to develop systems that allow for the faster production of more shitty chicken. That's what you're going to do, because the system dictates it. And that's what's going on in our industrial ag and food system. There is no way that you get hired and go to work in that system and change things from the inside. It doesn't exist. It's as asinine as thinking, I'm going to run for Congress and change things from the inside. Let me know how that works out. Ask Ron Paul about that. Right? Probably the, the, the politician with the most integrity that has ever existed in my adult lifetime. Ask him about changing the system from the inside. I did. I got a pretty blunt and direct answer. You do what you can, but in the end, you don't change the system from the inside. The industrial food and ag system has to be changed from the outside. And it is the thing that's killing the most people. And if I can figure out a way to get you to buy one more box of crackers or chips or anything, if I can find one more addictive additive... One more that the government will let me put in there, and if they won't, maybe our lobbyists can fix that. Then I'm going to put it in there. I'm going to put it in there. If I can trigger you to eat more garbage, I will because it benefits me. That's a big part of what makes it a great evil. Next, 
the codes, laws, and regulations combined that make housing lack innovation and affordability. And it's all of it. It's all of it. It can be really basic, simple things that are just asinine when we really think about them. For instance, I can't, I think, I can't remember the name of the county. There's a county just to my west. And we were looking at some property out there. It was like, wow, it's really close. Maybe closer than I ever thought I could get a more rural, larger kind of bug out recreational property. And it didn't work out for us. But I learned something just by looking at it. And when I say look at it, I mean like online. It said one restriction. So they were unincorporated. I'm unincorporated. I'm in Tarrant County there and whatever the Southern County is. And I thought, well, I would be the same. Nope. One restriction. Thou shalt not build a primary residence less than 2,500 square feet. The hell. You know what they're doing? They're protecting their tax base. That's a, that's a nice way of saying making sure your children will never be able to afford a house. And that's just one. So right there, what does that do to housing affordability? Just, you know, you don't have to be an architect or an engineer to figure this out. Just let me run this past you like a word problem when you were in like fifth grade. Bill wants to build a house that's 1,200 square feet. Tom wants to build a house that's 3,000 square feet. Assuming they use common materials and build to the same quality, whose house will cost more? Does it, does it, are, are you trying to figure it out? Or do you know the answer immediately? Did you know the answer before I finished the question? I realized where I was going with it. Of course you did. So we've already said, okay, if we're going to have people trying to build more affordable and newer housing, we're going to make sure they can't. Unless we cram them all into some sort of an apartment building under the guise of affordable housing that nobody that really needs it can afford because he won't let you in and the people who have no money are given it at the expense of the people who paid for it in the first place. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Just trust me. That's the case. That's just one thing. But what, what happens when we start controlling all the systems around this system? So like economics. I want to buy a house. Bill built a beautiful house. It's a, it's a dome home. It's indestructible. Anything short of dropping a bu bunker buster on it, it will not be destroyed. A tornado will bounce off of it. Literally. Literally will bounce off of it. But it's a dome. Okay? I want to buy it. This actually happened to me with a dome home. I couldn't get a mortgage on it. Why couldn't I get a mortgage on it? Because the, the banks would not allow comps to be anything other than a house just like it because they don't want it to happen because it's all tied together. It's one example. So no dome homes, no small homes. See the problem for the young generation trying to get started out, competing for the few small square footage homes that are already pre-built and grandfathered in in all of these, these communities that are now, you know, you can actually buy a bigger home for so close to the price of a smaller one in some areas in here in the Dallas area, you might as well buy the bigger house. You might as well buy a new one. And if you can't, well, you just wait until you can. Forget the dream of home ownership. Go rent from BlackRock. That, that's how this system has all been built together. Why can't we? Why can't we just build communities and say people, people generally don't build houses that are going to fall on their heads? If you're a commercial builder, having some rules for you, I don't know that it's totally necessary the way that it's done today, but I understand it. But if you're building your own home, if you're acting as your own general contractor, if you're making choices step by step all the way through, generally people don't build homes that fall down on themselves. Somehow, somehow humanity pretty much built their own homes for the majority of time that humanity's existed. Now there's places where it doesn't work out. You're in an earthquake zone and you're building houses out of mud. Well, that can be a problem. 
So there's places where we need to think more. But it's not like we live in a society where people are incapable of learning or we don't have knowledge now. So should we be able to build our homes appropriate to our climate and geography as we see fit? Might that not make housing more affordable? And on top of it, every time the government wants something more, they just tax the real estate more. And the people behind the construction and the codes on the industrial side fund the people that tax the property. Yay. You can see that that gilding, again, it's a gilding around housing, is designed to prevent everything that is sustainable and regenerative and innovative in housing from ever happening. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to let the government decide when the way we produce housing advances and how. That's what it's designed to do. And it does a great job of it because the government is going to do whatever the the banks say. The banks are the source of the money. And to a degree, the banks are going to do what the government wants to keep the, the relationship going symbiotically. The symbiotic relationship should be between all of us. Right? It shouldn't be. Like, literally, there is a symbiotic relationship between the banks and the government. And they use it to control all of these systems. The next one, the mass media system. If I need to explain this to you, turn this podcast off. Never listen to me again. I'm sorry, I can't help you. If you have any trust in media right now, you have to be one and only one type of person. The type of person who looks at it and says, basically, my side is in control. I think I'm right. Therefore, it's okay. But there's never been a time in the history of the planet where people silencing others were the good guys. From book burning to hanging. There's a, there's a, a, a quote, I don't remember who said it, but they, it, it, I think it, was, it had something to do with Nazi Germany. And it said, wherever books are burned, eventually people will be burned. And it's true. And mass media does this. Because when I'm talking about media here, yes, I'm talking about CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all of it. They program you, just like the edu so the education system installs the software that controls your thinking as a child and a young adult. And then we have to have ongoing patches and updates to your software, your right, to your firmware. That comes from the mass media. You plug right into it. You can choose whether I want left firmware or right firmware, but you're getting firmware as long as you're using these systems. But it's not just them. It's the Facebooks. It's the Twitters. It's all this social media that is the new Mainstream media. Facebook is mainstream media. I don't know if you think about it that way. I do. Facebook's mainstream media. And it's supposed to be. Google, as a search engine, aggregating news based on their own formulas, is mainstream media. It decides what you see and how you see it. Twitter is mainstream media. All of it is mainstream media. And that media system is not just a horrible thing due to censorship and exclusion. And it has been gilded. Like, all, all these systems are gilded for a long time. Back in the early 2000s, I had a guy that for, worked for me named Mark. He was, he was one of my, my people that did web marketing for me. And his girlfriend at the time worked for a major news outlet here in Dallas-Fort Worth. I mean a major news outlet. And he said, she wants to quit. And, he, and I said, well, why? He said, because every story she's assigned... The core truth that really matters that she finds, she's never allowed to report on. That's almost 20 years ago. That's almost 20 years ago, guys. Don't think this is a new problem. And don't think it wasn't going on in the 80s and the 70s. It was easier. 
because there were less outlets. So it was easier to control. But today, there's like seven companies that control like all the media, all of it, every bit of it that goes on to like cable TV and things like that. But there's four that really control it. There's four. There's four that control 90% of the information. And they all pretend to be at odds, and they all go hang out together at billionaire meetings and plan what they want for the world. There, it is inherently evil because it continues to program preconceived ideas that, that are basically, they have one, one thing in common. Don't question the status quo, just pick a side and assume the other side's wrong. That's great. Now we're divided. Now they're in total control. No matter which side you pick, you get the same thing. Next up, the military-industrial complex. I am a believer in defense. And I believe that defense of self involves defense of community and defense of region, and at a larger level, defense of nation as we think of it today, defined by borders. I believe that some nations will invade other nations. I believe that some nations could be completely peaceful and stop messing around with the rest of the world, and I sure wish our nation would. If any nation can do this, we can. We have enough resources in the United States. We don't need to bother anybody else. We're like one of the only nations that literally could be, if we wanted to, an advanced technical nation with unbelievable innovation and be isolationist. I'm not saying we should be. I'm saying we could. And the fact that we could gives us a greater responsibility to stop telling other people how to live. But we do. And we do because there's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of money in it. Because there's a lot of people that view humanity like a bunch of pieces on a game board to be moved around at their will for their amusement. And because the way that you control one nation with another nation is through military force, either implied or initiated. And then, boy, can't you sell them some weaponry. Look at what we spend on defense. But when's the last time we defended ourselves? When's the last time we were attacked and defended ourselves? Do you want to say 9-11? I'm not going to go into any conspiracy theories. But no matter how tragic it was, the loss of several buildings and damage to your capital, if it is what they said it was, and I'll let that go, does warrant a response. It does not warrant 20 years of war, the death of millions, including thousands of your own, the expenditure of over trillions, several trillion dollars in treasure to end up right back where you started. There's no way that works unless you sell the bombs and the missiles. If you sell the bombs and the missiles... Or if you acquire the contracts to rebuild, or you require the you acquire the contracts to extract natural resources, Halliburton. If you end up acquiring patents on the native seeds of the nation you're supposed to help, Monsanto, it works out great. If you're able to move into these nations and put them into debt through the IMF and gain control over them, first by bomb, then by debt, it works for you. That's our military-industrial complex. Our nation should be so well defended that no one would ever think of bothering us. And we pretty much are. I think we're destroying that, but we are. Now, if you're, if you're the guy on the schoolyard, 
that's so big and so strong. No one would pick on you. And you see other kids that have a dispute. But they're not hurting you or anybody else. And they're going to be able to figure it out if you leave it alone. And you go over and beat the shit out of both of them to make them do what you want. What is the one word that would come into your mind to describe that individual? Wouldn't it be bully? We're global bully guys. And we're empowered by this military-industrial complex that employs so many of us who certainly are going to walk away from those jobs because the monetary system is controlled and we can't store up our life's worth in a meaningful way in half a human lifetime so we can spend the other half pursuing our dreams. Even that would be great, wouldn't it? And then we have the systematic destruction of local strong community. You know, I, I agree with the left on so many things. I just don't agree with, like, the totality of how, the meaning behind it, and the fact that you shouldn't trust the people who did it to fix it. If you burn my house down, I might seek remedy through the court system. I want this guy who burnt my house down to pay for it. I want him to tender consideration for the damage he caused me. Whatever he has. He did it, but you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to go to the court and say, I want the guy that burned my house down to fix my house, to rebuild it for me, physically. To be responsible for the rebuilding. The person that burns a house down probably can't be trusted to build one. The people that caused all these problems, they cannot be trusted to fix them. And the one place they really cannot be trusted to fix them is local communities. They've destroyed local communities at every level. At every level. They say there's a war on drugs, but they set up a system that could result in nothing else than the penetration of heroin as the drug of choice throughout the majority of rural communities in the United States, especially the Northeast, and they destroyed the place I grew up in, known as Pottsville, Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania. There's nothing left of what I remember. The great stories I tell you guys, it's not there anymore. I talk to people that are still there. It's gone. I told my sister recently, you were, you were too young to understand it. She's like nine years younger than me. So you missed it. I got the end. Everybody had everybody's back. And then our grandparents died. And when I said that, I didn't mean her grandparents and my grandparents, like our, our grandfathers on, on the Spirico side and our grandmother on the Spirico side. I meant everybody's. The generations, grandparents died, and it died with them. And the drugs came in and replaced it. They did it with the black community. They used welfare in the name of helping the black community. It was the number one thing that tore apart black families. And they did it with laws. This is why I agree with the left on some things. There are laws that clearly are more likely to punish the black community than the white community. Now, when you make that law, you know that, Joe Biden, by the way. So I'm saying, don't let the people that caused the problem try to fix it. But if you send black men to prison for longer terms than you send white men to prison, then you remove the male from the family unit, and if you tell the mom, hey, we'll give you a welfare check, don't worry about that deadbeat, what happens to that community? One generation, I remember TV sitcoms like Good Times. It was about a black family living in the ghetto of Chicago. And I remember the father of that family named James standing up when anybody talked about charity of any kind. Since so this family will not take charity. We'll get by. We always have and we will. You know what they did to him in the second season? They killed him. I think it was inconvenient even then for the media to have that going on. And that's gone. And this isn't a racial issue. That's just, like, that's one thing we can do is look at communities and see how they divide, see this racial divide, and then we can do something to destroy that community. What was one of the first things they shut down during COVID? Churches. One of the great things that keep community going 
are places where people mutually go to gather under a common ideal. Let's shut that down. Let's shut it down. And welfare didn't just destroy black families. It just kind of hit that demographic first. Tons of white people on welfare, tons of Hispanic people on welfare, tons of every race on welfare now. So much so that the United States actually advertises on the radio, hey, did you know you might qualify for food stamps even if you have a job and you're doing okay? It's your money. Why not come get it? I mean, literally, they've run advertisements advertising for people to apply for food stamps. You don't know until you try. They want you on welfare. It destroys families. It destroys communities. When mom and dad stop thinking, we really need to stay together, they stop looking for how to stay together. And you make divorce easy, and yet you destroy the man in a divorce. That's what our legal system does. Not always, but most of the time. And the lower the income level, the more likely it is to destroy the male in the relationship. And turn the male into something that the prior spouse, the, the, the wife, sees as a deadbeat when he's sleeping in his car after paying the child support that he didn't have. And we use a term like deadbeat dad. They exist. They're pretty rare. They're pretty rare to the total. Doesn't mean you can't find a lot of them. There's a lot of things that are supposedly rare, but there's a lot of them. Gold's pretty rare. Walk through a shopping mall and look at how much you see of it. But they're not the majority of men. The majority of men don't not care about their kids. Oh, in time they start to get they see their child as a as a detriment. They don't get to see them and they have to pay for them. The mom's now got a new beau and he's paying for him and he has a job. And then we all become adversarial with each other. Why? Because we want to destroy local communities. Everything that holds our local communities together is gotten rid of as fast as possible. Let's replace in these small rural communities that don't really need one the rural fire departments that are made up mostly of volunteers. We need professional firefighters. Do you know how much volunteer firefighters do for a community other than just put out fires? Not that many of them to put out, by the way. Everything you look at, they destroy. The ability of children to extend their religious beliefs into their school, not for them to be taught religion, but if you can have a Spanish club, why can't I have a, a Christian club? Why not? If I have a Spanish club, it doesn't make you speak Spanish, and you only come to the Spanish club if you want to learn. If I have a chess club, it doesn't mean the school is endorsing chess. It means that kids self-organized. Let's take that away, too. Gee, because that's a whole group of children who sit around and talk all the time about treating their neighbor as they treat themselves, loving their neighbor as themselves. That might do a little bit to help negate at least some of the problems of bullying in schools. Can't have that. They have systematically destroyed community wherever they can. Let's go to some solutions. Right? How about monetary? Okay. It's going to seem, seem like an oversimplified answer. Bitcoin fixes this. And I'm not going to turn this into a cryptocurrency show, even a short one, short version thereof of it. I just want to point out, I mentioned in the Zeitgeist film that the end of one of the films, the utopian view is the people of the world take all their cash and they go to the central banks and they throw it at their front door. And I'm done. Yeah, no. First of all, those people had a lot of money and people that had that much money would probably not be so quick to be revolutionaries. Because they have what they need. See, people are generally peaceful when they have mostly what they need. Unless they're sociopaths, in which they need more. Right? So, in general, people that have their basic needs met are pretty peaceful people. 
I didn't say weak. I didn't say harmless. I said peaceful. They'd still be very dangerous men. If I have the basics of what I need, I'm peaceful because I choose to be. You try to take it away or hurt my family, I become dangerous very fast. Right? So we, we already have this situation set up where we can't do that. So I thought. I think that movie came out like 2011. Bitcoin was a brand new thing. What happens when you stop using their money? And I didn't say their currency. For now, we're going to pay our bills mostly in dollars. Okay, fine. But what happens when you take that life force that you were saving up, you start putting it into Bitcoin? Other cryptos will leave for another day. Bitcoin, that has its own monetary policy, it's never been changed. No one can change it. It takes an immense amount of consensus to change anything. But what's and, and some things have been made better, but the monetary policy, this many units per year for this long, this way, has never been changed. It never will be changed. Is it the best we can do? No. But what did I say science was? The best we can do for now. It's the option. It's there. It works. How do you throw your money back at the central bank but not lose what you have? Sweep your excess wealth into Bitcoin. That's the easy answer that I have for right now. Start doing business barter, yes. Build up your own local economies, yes. I think local economies also can build to the point where you have your own guilds. In other words, you don't do business here unless we let you in. And we have private commerce amongst members only. And maybe that group uses a cryptocurrency like R, which is totally private. And so I'm now holding my wealth in Bitcoin. I'm using the world's currency, the dollar, where I have to. And among my contemporaries, I'm using a currency that's fungible and convertible if I do need to go outside, which gives everybody confidence in accepting it, that keeps our business, not their business, in our. Gee, that starts to solve community too, but we'll get there. But yeah, that's the simple answer. No, it doesn't mean that if everybody, even everybody in this audience did that right now, that the world would even change right away. The world does not change quickly. It changes imperceptibly slow. And then it, it changes very, very quickly, apparently overnight. But we're talking about what you can do for you and your family and your community today. You do that first. These ideas that we're going to change the whole world before we change ourselves are asinine. They're unscientific. They're illogical. Next, education. I say it over and over. Take your children away from them. Develop alternatives for adults as well. We need to build completely independent, private, affordable, cheap, and even free systems of education. And dare I say, many of them already exist. While I lump YouTube in with the mainstream media, there isn't much you can't learn at least the basics of on YouTube. I've seen people start from zero. No skills at all. Zero. Don't know what a drill is. Don't know how a drill works. Don't know what a table saw is. Don't know what a bandsaw is. And build an entire shop and start producing products in under a year starting on YouTube. Basic tools for a wood shop. Oh, a planer. How does a planer work? How to use a planer. I mean, seriously. That already exists. What if we actually made the effort to elevate that continuously? Building it on other platforms. And we also reached out in our communities. I keep hearing people, I can't afford to homeschool my kids. I can't take the time off of work. Can you take one day? Okay, great. Get on next door. 
Say, this is what I want to do. Is there anybody out there that could give one day a week, one day a week to a cooperative? That just basically makes sure the kids do their work and don't kill each other. So, day one, all the kids come to my house. Day two, all the kids go to Stan's house. Day three, all the kids go to Mary's house. Day four, and so on. We don't need to hire a teacher. Why would you hire a teacher from the public education system that's failing your children to teach your children? Why would you do such a thing? Now you need a facility. A place for them all to go. We'll go to her house. So you have to find a teacher from the failed system that's good enough to teach your children, all at different levels, without a state-approved lessons plan, when all of you might have some different goals for your children, and you're not involved anymore. Yay, that works. I don't think it does. Now, I'm not going to say I don't think that there maybe is a case for creating like local cooperative private educational institutions. But I don't think that's step one. Step one, can I find five, four other parents? Now, we all only need one day off a week. It's never too much for anybody. The kids get the experience of going and meeting other children. And you can have a kid in first grade and a kid in third grade. And the third grader can help the first grader. We already know that helps a lot with learning empathy and compassion. Instead of promoting bickering and badgering and fighting. My sister-in-law is a teacher. I love her dearly. But she's in a failing industry. And she's failing in a failing industry. Because you will fail in a system that's failed. You might succeed and you'll get promoted, you'll get retirement, whatever. But you'll fail in why you went there in the first place. If you went to a system that fails to educate and empower children with logic and reason and truth, because now it's designed to not do that, or to prepare them for the reality we exist in today, instead of a reality that's been dead for 50 years or more, then you will fail as a teacher Because you can't succeed in a system that was designed for you to fail. Because it's not designed for you. It was designed for the state. So we need to change that. And anybody that tells me there's no way I can rearrange my life where I can give one, like, especially when you're married, neither spouse can do that. Maybe each spouse makes a deal with the employer one day every other week. You're meeting your obligation to the group. You know what other solutions there are? Thousands. Do you know why you can't come up with them? Because you say, I can't, instead of how, how can I? Do you know why you do that? Because all the systems we're talking about you today put firmware and software in your brain to train you to do that. To train you to rely on experts who are likely not even experts at how to wipe their own ass, by the way. I said I wouldn't curse, but it, that one makes me mad. Next, science is an authority. I think we need a new platform for scientists. We need a blockchain-based, ideally, platform that allows scientists to publish their results and vet each other that's designed to be a peer-reviewed platform. And none of the platforms are. They're all guilted. I think we need a system that has checksums, that when a claim is made, it's verified, and then that basically the checksum comes back, we know this thing is true. We know this thing is most likely true, right? We don't know if this thing is true. We're not sure yet. This thing is false, and it begins to auto-score. So the system itself begins the initial peer review. And then other scientists are able to come into there through their own research and either change the checksum. We do know this to be true. Here's proof. 
It's basically the scientific process as it's always been presented to you in like fifth grade in school, but for real, not controlled by Pfizer and Merck. How to do it? I don't know. And what do I mean by scientists? Anybody. You don't have to have a degree. Anybody that can publish their theories and publish their experiments and publish their findings and say, check it out. We need a new platform for that. We need one where the only people excluded are major industries. Money is excluded from the platform. The platform exists purely to better the scientific knowledge of mankind. We can't do that. Yes, we can. Again, how can we? Well, when you make information electronic, which we're really good at now as a species, you make it weightless. There's no cost to moving it, or the cost is infinitesimally low. The last thing it needs to be is well-funded. It needs to be sufficiently funded for the work to justify the existence. It needs to be what you were sold, the idea, for instance, Wikipedia would be, But then it never was going to be that, was it? Did you ever really believe that, that Wikipedia would really be this vast new library of Alexandria that would be completely based on fact and logic and reason that you could trust? I'm sorry, you were wrong. No, we need a new platform. And we need to start teaching science to our children when we pull them out of the education system. We need to start teaching adults what science is. We need people to actually go through the process of formulating a hypothesis, testing a hypothesis, publishing results, and then seeing somebody else prove or disprove your results. And learning from failure. And learning that failure is not actually a failure. It led to the advancement of the total. We can build that. It's not as easy as some of the other ones, but it can start with teaching your kids what science is and what it isn't. Next, pharmaceuticals and big medicine. We need to lead with teaching health and nutrient density. Instead of trying to say, well, we don't need this drug or we don't need that drug, let's keep people from getting sick in the first place. Let's let the medical industry do what it actually is supposed to do. Heal people who cannot heal themselves. And perform surgery on people that were damaged in some way where surgery is the option. If I get in a car wreck and my hand is half severed and there's a surgeon that can put it back on and I'll regain control of my hand... I don't want herbs poured on it. I want a surgeon. If I have a disease that I've contracted, like tuberculosis, and we have antibiotic courses that can eradicate it from my body, I want those antibiotics. I'm not anti-medicine. But the, the, the vast majority of medication today is taken for lifestyle disorders, not disease. Now, it truly does mean disease, as in dis-ease within the body. But it doesn't mean it the way people take that to believe, I got sick, I have a condition, I have a medical problem, I need a drug. It's part of the conditioning you've gone through and you believe in. If we teach people that the basics of dietary correctness for human beings is eat meat, meat and fat. We'll get to that in a bit about how environmentally uh, regenerative that is. And that we shouldn't be eating anything that comes in a box with any, you know, even if you're going to eat a plant-based diet, whatever you want to eat. You shouldn't eat anything that has an ingredient you can't read. Alcohol should be extremely limited. Sugar should not even be part of your diet if it's added into a thing. There should be no such thing as added sugar. It should not exist. Even if you're eating things that I think are too high in sugar, like bananas and apples regularly, added sugar should not exist. The calories should not come in liquid. 
shouldn't be drinking your calories. It's a terrible idea. Even if we just did that, the health of the entire planet, wherever people have access to food, would go up overnight. And the pharmaceutical industry would become half its weight almost immediately. So why, why would they be opposed to that then? Think about it, right? It's not hard to figure out. So we get healthier. We get healthier. Stop buying shit in a box. Stop buying big bags of potato chips. Stop eating Twinkies. Stop. Many of you parents, please listen to me. I know some of you personally, you need to hear this. Stop fixing your health, but saying, oh, my kids have to have Cheetos. Oh, my kids still have to have Doritos or whatever. I'm okay with you, by the way, fixing yourself for about 60 days first. And then telling the kids, look at mommy. Look at daddy. Look at what we've done for ourselves. Remember when daddy was fat? Don't be surprised when your kid, especially your toddler, goes, yeah, daddy was fat. Right? Don't be hurt by it. You're just telling you the truth. You don't want to grow up that way, do you? No, then you need to start eating like mom and dad do. And if you go through hell for two weeks, it's worth it to your kids. One generation, we could cut the disease rates and the death rates in this country that are premature deaths in half. God knows what else we'd discover if we did that alone. Can't change the diet of the country. You can't change the diet of your state. If you live in the suburbs, you can't change the diet of your block. You can change what you eat now. Today, beginning now. Not, you know what, Jack's right. After Thanksgiving, bullshit. That's someday. And someday is the day that most often never comes. Do it today. You On Thanksgiving, you want to eat some stuffing? Go ahead, I'm gonna. But do it today. Throw all the shit away. If nothing, you don't have to go keto, carnivore, what I, what I do. I'd prefer it. I think it would be better. But just throw the garbage away. Get a really big garbage bag and start going through your counters. And anything without it, sugar, anything that's highly processed, anything with an ingredient you can't pronounce, put it in the bag. Then drag the bag, the heavy bag, to the door and go look at it, what's left. You might have to go to the grocery store. It's okay. Go now while there's still full shelves, mostly. We can fix this. All right, next, I know what you're thinking, but how can everybody afford to eat meat? Well, the industrial ag and food industry is why we have that 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 unreality in our minds. The reality is that meat should be one of the most affordable foods in the world, not a luxury. If not the world, the United States of America. Our country has literal millions of farms that measure in the tens of thousands of acres. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 acres, one farm. Corn, wheat, beans, rice, potato. All starches. All plants, by the way, that after harvest are easy to store, easy to transport, easy to commoditize, easy to tax, easy to measure in bushels, tons. Why, oh why, would a state want such a thing? To take the very sustenance of man, the thing you must have every day, right? The only thing more important than you, you being able to eat every day is getting water and air. You can only go so long without food, and you will die. And they have complete and total control, and they've completely commoditized it, and they've completely created a system around it that you're dependent on, and then one little hiccup can come, and your store shelves are empty. Something you never thought would happen unless you've listened to the show before it did. This is one example of the problem. Well, how do we do that? Well, we develop the tractor, and we develop the plow, and we mechanize agriculture, and then we use the same things in agriculture that we use in war. 
use chemical warfare. We use bombs. Bombs? What are you talking about, Jack? Well, the fertilizer they use makes a good bomb. Remember the fertilizer bomb connection, right? It's, it's literally, it was initially made in the form that it's used now to make bombs. The chemistry in agriculture, the chemistry of war are almost identical. Even the machinery looks the same. A lot of farm implements look an awful lot like tanks and other weapon, weaponized uh, vehicles of warfare. It's no coincidence. Pattern recognition. Hey, if it works for this, it'll work for that. Let them eat their gruel. This is the world we live in. What do we do about it? We start buying food from local producers. We start producing our own food. Talk about it all the time. It should be no real surprise. But there's so much we can do. And we start eating the right food. There's a funny thing about the free market, even though it's very unfree right now. It's still a, there, there will always be a market. The agora will always exist. Demand will drive supply always. That's why they spend so much time trying to influence demand. That's why marketing exists, not as something you do as an entrepreneur to make people aware of what you have, but as a profession. Suddenly a person enters when they're 21 years old and spends their entire life doing, and they really haven't contributed anything to society at the end of it. That's why it exists. That's why it exists, to change opinions and perceptions and to shape demand. Why do you think they're trying to teach your children that they should be eating Beyond Burgers when it's garbage food? Why do you think they're teaching your children that if we have cows, they fart too much and it raises the temperature of the planet? How can you do that scientifically, guys? Really? The megafauna that existed in the United States made what is, what's in Africa at Africa's height before we overhunted it look like a joke. Until the, until the asteroid impacts around the KT boundary wiped out the megafauna in our continent. We had metric shit tons of herbivores running around. Right now you go to Africa, go to Serengeti. You can see herds of gazelles and wildebeest and, and antelope that are so vast they look like seas of animals. Well, if the environmentalists, if you want to call them that, are right, and a ruminant eating vegetation and farting is part of the greatest threat to humanity that exists, a.k.a. climate change, global warming, then it wouldn't be the logical thing to do to fire up some of those military-industrial complex helicopters with M60s and start wiping them out? Do they want to do that? No, of course not. What's the difference? Ruminant eats grass, ruminates, deposits manure, fertilizes ground, grows more vegetation, system becomes more resilient, and you know where carbon goes? In the soil. Ruminant-based systems can put more carbon in the soil than anything humans can do, period. Period. I don't care how much exhaust you pump into the ground under the term carbon sequestration, you can't compete with the grasslands of the United States of America alone restored to ruminant systems where there used to be 50 million plus Buffalo roaming, ruminating, and pooping. I don't care if you're a vegan. I don't care if you're a vegetarian. I don't care if you want to eat animals or not. I don't care. There is nothing we can do for the environment that is better than building savanna-based mimic systems 
run primarily with ruminants. And we can feed the world that way, including the people that don't want to eat meat. It's not even a problem. It will make it easier to do everything when it comes to growing vegetative crops. And given the choice between a ribeye and soybeans, most people will pick soy, I mean, uh, ribeyes. And if you're the soy boy, I'm sorry that you don't like that, but it's true. That's why they're working so hard to program your little brains in school that eating meat is bad. Meat equals bad. Meat is the, is the, the food that humanity developed as a species on. I don't care if you like it. This is not about how you feel. I'm giving you anthropological, scientific fact today. And we have enough evidence, because it's been tested by enough scientists, which are simply people that put theories into practice and measure the results, that we know that if we take a human being and we put them on a carnivore-based diet, that every way we measure their health gets better. A1C plummets. Weight plummets. Waist-to-height ratio plummets. This is not up for debate. This is not up for debate. This is not the science is settled. The science would be, and we know everything about it. But the fact that a person goes on a meat-based diet versus a standard American diet gets healthier. Sorry. Because I can go, there's one, there's one, there's one, I'm one. Doesn't it infer that even if it's perfect? It just shows that's a hell of a lot better. And the byproduct of this is, what happens to wildlife diversity? What happens to the carbon in the atmosphere? What happens to all the things that environmentalists claim to care about if we start converting fields that are 20,000 acres of you know beans this cycle, corn next cycle? We start converting those fields to systems that are tree-lined grazing cattle systems at a stalking rate of about one head per acre. 40,000 cows on 40,000 acres. You can't do that. That's because you don't know how. I'm not going to go into it today, but it's actually not that hard. You won't do it the first year, but it'd be amazingly quick how quick you can. What if it's half that? Two cows, or one cow per two acres, 20,000 cattle, 20,000 head. Don't tell me we can't feed the population a meat-based diet and do so more, more in a more healthy way. The only people that don't benefit from this is all the people that benefit right now in the food system. All the people that want the food quantifiable, taxable, commodifiable. They're the ones that hurt. And they even commodify the meat where they can. And then they feed you sick meat, and you say you got sick from the sick meat as though it's all meat. Pork bellies and such. Right? That's controlled as well. But you can only do that with CAFOs. No, we don't need the 40,000 acres under the hands of one individual. We need that to be several hundred small ranches, and those ranches forming community and working together. And you know how cheap beef would be? That's why they're afraid of it. Oh, gee, beef, I want pork. Okay, leader-follower system. We could take that same land and raise 10,000 pigs, maybe more. We could take that same land and run a million chickens, 50,000 turkeys, all extremely healthy, all mostly pastured, all needing very little grain input. And the longer we do it, the better it gets. Why, why would they not want that? Why, why wouldn't they just do that if you're right, Jack? Think of who loses. Think of who gains. Think of what it does for community. Think of what it does to change the country. 
to where everybody's packed into these cities, to where you can have nice communities spread out everywhere. Next up, the controlled housing situation, right? I think we need to develop as many housing options as possible in defiance when necessary. People need to go to places where the rules are already lapsed, don't ask for permission, and just start building. And be smart and learn from the mistakes of the past. I can't think of the guy's name now, but the guy that created the first Earthship, like, and coined the terminal, he's actually an architect. And he went out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico trying to be left alone and started helping people build Earthships. They took away his architectural license. So we know not to take that approach now. If you're an architect, you need a, a standoff filter. If you're going to aid, like maybe you publish plans, but you're not actively engaged in the construction and say, these are theoretical if you want to maintain your license. Maybe we fight for change where that architect can actually go do things. Maybe some places we just do it. Maybe they're creating so many problems for themselves that they don't have time to police everything, and maybe we start using that to our advantage. But we need to change things. We need to develop our own economic system that provides our own mortgages that don't care that the house happens to be made of straw bales or the house happens to be round or the house happens to be earth contact or the house happens to be you know an off-grid earthship type house but it's not actually an earthship they just simply care well is it valuable and does the person have the means to service the debt and can we give them an ethical debt where everybody benefits including the person taking the debt on without using a fractional reserve predatory system. We can. Why do you think I want you to build wealth? So you can sit on it? So you can do something with it? We can do that. Mass media. We need to develop platforms with true, enforced, journalistic standards. Again, I think much like a scientific platform, I think we could actually build a smart contract and blockchain-based journalist site where the site immediately begins to check the claims of the journalist. And maybe he doesn't say this is true or untrue, but says, here's all the other things connected to it that may prove it further true, show more to the story, or show that it's false. I think it would be great. But I also think we need to start actually having journalists follow the rules of journalism, like two independent sources before you claim you know a thing, and a source being reported on by another journalistic outlet, and it's the same source, is not two sources. And that maybe we should teach the rules of journalism to everybody so that when you see bullshit journalism, you recognize it. Maybe we need to reward real journalists. A lot of this is going on already, but there's a lot of room to expand. But I think the biggest thing we can do, again, we're back to education. You need to learn what journalism is supposed to be. You know, just the facts. Or the, no, I mean the rules. There is an ethical means by which a journalist operates. I learned this when I started TSP. It started out as an idea. And then I got into covering actual things that were going on. And then I got feedback from you guys. And that feedback was, you said to do this, so I did this. And I thought, holy crap. Holy crap. And by then I had like several thousand that I started to get regular emails. Like, okay, Four or five thousand people a day listen to this. This is way, way back when the audience was that small. It was huge to me. It freaked me out. You said to do this, so I went and did it. Holy crap. I got to do something. So one thing I did was I started, I put a system together that when I would say, I think this thing will work, you either knew Jack did this and says it works. Jack did this and says it works, but here's some caveats, right? Jack thinks this will work, but he's never done it. 
right? I, I, I categorized my recommendations. I want to be very clear. This is an idea. This is something I've done. Here's what went wrong with it. Maybe this will fix it. I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. So that anything I suggested, you took in understanding that. But then I thought at another level, that makes me feel like I'm not doing enough when I say, you know, XYZ entity reported this today, and here's what I think about it. Like, I need to be a journalist. So what does that mean? So I actually, for several weeks, read everything I can and could find on journalistic standards. And not CNN telling me what their journalistic standards were. Before all of this new media, when a person went to journalism school, I wasn't going to you know, get a journalism degree in a couple of weeks. But what was the core philosophy they were taught? How do you do journalism ethically? How do you avoid clickbait headlines? Because it's very tempting, right? Experts say. Clickbait headlines are very tempting, comma, experts say. Comma, new study reviews. How do you avoid that? You have to put ethics above advancement and profit. It's very difficult to do. But you realize if I do it long enough, this is the difference. And it's the same thing with savings and saving your wealth. Society today lives in a place where we value now versus later. What I can have is not as important as what I can get. I get a thing for a short period. I have it and it's gone. But it's become more important than what I can build long term. I think it was a comedian named, I think it was Andrew Dice Clay that did this. I'm not sure if it was him or not. But a few years ago, there was somebody that went out in the streets And they took a 10-ounce silver bar and a Hershey bar. This was like beginning of like 2000, somewhere around there. I think the silver was worth at the time about 100 bucks. So you got a Hershey bar worth 50 cents to a dollar, depending on how big the Hershey bar is, and $100 in silver. And more than 80% of the people that were said, you can either have the Hershey bar, the bar of silver, took the Hershey bar. Even people that were kind of ignorant to silver had to know the silver was worth more money. But it would take an extra step. I would have to take it somewhere and get cash for it. And then I could buy Hershey bars or other things. Or I could just take it home and put it on the shelf and let it become a store of value. Or I could give it to my child and teach them about Like There's all these different things you could do with the silver, but they all involved another step. But if I get the Hershey bar, preferably with almonds, because we all know they're better that way, I can open it up and eat it right now. This is the philosophy that... That's pervaded everything. The journalist is more concerned how many reads, how many comments, how many click, you know, CPMs does this earn my publisher? And the way I do that is I write the headline so people will click on it. Instead of writing the headline to reflect the content of the article. Do you know that's a journalistic standard? Nobody talks about it anymore today. But a journalistic standard is when you're writing a headline or a lead in or de developing a headline or a lead-in for, for audio or video journalism, that it reflect accurately the content the person is about to receive. I read an article yesterday. Well, I didn't read it. I scanned it very quickly. It's all that was necessary. It was about a congressman. There's the first problem with this. That says somebody in the Fauci organization, and it may be Fauci himself, is going to go to jail. I don't remember the exact headline, but that's a, you know, like legal investigation, like a big thing's going to happen. These guys were going, they're going down, baby, right? You, it, it, like, it doesn't say anything about the congressman in it or anything, right? You click on the article, you read it, and it says some congress clown, he hinted 
at the possibility that maybe the investigations that they might do, literally, this is what this says when you read all the words and cut through the bullshit, that they might do may include a criminal investigation. Okay, you know what your Congress doesn't do? Criminal investigations. Congress doesn't do criminal investigations. They do hearings. They might say, hey, we think we found something. DOJ, do something. Your Congress doesn't do criminal investigations. The Department of Justice does criminal investigations. The FBI does criminal investigations. I think often you have criminals investigating the criminals, but it is what it is. And you know who really doesn't do any significant criminal investigations as a congressman? The congressman and the minority party. The whole thing was bullshit. One example. How many people know this? How many people know this? Because my other part of this is ignore the mainstream media. As soon as you know this, you don't have to. It'll happen all by itself. You'll realize that 90% of what you see from these people is bullshit. So then you won't fear letting go. People, You tell people, you want to see somebody get mad? Tell somebody who watches the news, stop watching the news. They flip the hell out. They go, get very, oh my God, you just don't care. I care. I think being told lies won't help me. I think being revved up emotional like you clearly are won't help me. And here's the big thing. I think me not knowing or me knowing have, will have no effect on what happens. And I think anything I really want to know, I'll still be able to know. Somebody will tell me. I'll get it through another medium. I'll get it through independent research. Watching the news is nothing but constantly letting the system of control update my software. And I want to update my own software. Thank you. I don't want to go back to the mothership that screwed my mind up in the first place for more software updates. So ignore it. But you have to develop an understanding of how untrustworthy the, the, the media is. And what people say now, well, I know, Jack. I saw what they did supporting Biden. Okay. Okay. So you don't trust the left media. Great. You, sound, you know what you sound like you do? Trust the right media. No, I don't. And then you, you watch that person's social media, and they post like 30 articles a day from Fox News and Red State or wherever else they, 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 uh, they find it. Because don't think that journalistic standards exist in alternative media. I see these websites all the time that masquerade as news sites. They have, they have no greater journalistic integrity than CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News. They're writing clickbait headlines all the time. Mike Adams at Natural News. My God, there's not a, there's not a shred of journalistic integrity at Natural News. Not, and I know there's not, because I know Mike Adams from direct conversations where I learned that integrity does not exist there. That's not a personal attack. I'm, as a journalist, reporting you my first-hand knowledge. My first-hand knowledge. And I covered it a long time ago, so I won't go there. And that's just one example. You read all this stuff, and as soon as you read the article, it's either total bullshit, or the article tells the truth, and it doesn't match the headline. We need to teach journalistic standards to non-journalists. So we judge a journalist first and foremost, not on whether I agree with you or I like what you're saying or don't like what you're saying. Did you follow the rules of journalism? What do I want to know about my mechanic? He's well-trained and he understands the system of an automobile, which he will be working on and I'm going to trust my life to. Do I care that he doesn't like Fords and he prefers Chevys? I hope not. I hope not. Because he can like Fords and be a moron. He can like Chevys and be a moron and not know how to do a proper brake job. Both of those endanger me and my family and other people. right? So the first thing I want to know from a journalist, did he follow the rules of journalism? Does he know what a journalist is? Does he conduct himself like a journalist? 
Does he do the things that make a journalist trustworthy? Then I might disagree with his opinions, but I will respect his position. That doesn't exist hardly at all in America today. Because the system is designed for it not to exist. We have to create it for ourselves. Next, the military complex. This is a big one. I'm going longer than I wanted to today. My voice is still strained. But I'm going to try to make it as simplistic as possible. Create abundance and teach others to do the same. You might wonder how that disempowers the military-industrial complex. A lot of ways. First of all, wars are fought over scarcity. The graphic for today's episode is a quote by Ishmael Surangandi. And I don't know if that's the right way to pronounce it. That's the best I can do. He's the founder of the new Alexandria Library. And he said the wars of the 21st century will be fought over water. Sounds crazy. Water's abundant. That's why it sounds crazy. But we're making the abundant not abundant. There'll still be plenty of water, but clean, drinkable water and water that can be used for irrigation for animals and plants is becoming more and more scarce in much of the world. And when there's a scarcity, we fight wars. We fight wars. Long ago, I did a presentation, a live keynote at a Permaculture Voices conference. And it was on taking regenerative agriculture and permaculture forward. And I talked about the idea of abundance. And kind of one of those knowledge points that you hit a crowd with, that they intrinsically know, but when they hear somebody say it, it hits them like a two-by-four. There was a time in history when men killed men with weapons and spilled their blood on the ground and the thing they were actually fighting over was control of salt. Salt. Freaking salt. There was a time when men killed men with weapons and spilled their blood over spices. But in particular, black pepper. There were wars fought over salt and pepper. I'm betting you've not seen a war for salt or pepper today. And it's because the systems of distribution, the systems of agriculture, despite all I said bad about them, have made salt and pepper dramatically abundant today. Assuming you have any money at all, you can afford salt and pepper. The idea that you would kill somebody for their salt should be very foreign to you, or you have a very sick mind. Because we do not kill each other in conflict over that which we have in abundance unless we are sick in our minds and our soul and our spirit. We don't do it. So the first thing we do to decrease the propensity for warfare is to build abundance and to teach the building of abundance. Because another thing that we know, there was an interview, it was either with Goering or some other top Nazi, Himmler, I think it was Himmler, was leading up to the, the Nuremberg trials. And he was asked by one of his interviewers about getting people to go to war. And he said, you know, it's very simple. You make the person afraid of somebody outside of themselves, and you tell them that they're going to come take everything that they have from them, and you use fear to motivate them into war. And you have to do this, Because the farmer on either side has no interest in leaving his farm to go to war. Why would he? And I'm paraphrasing here, but the, the interrogator said something like, you know, kind of puffing up as an American, but, you know, the West, we're a democracy. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He did the same thing. He wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. 
we create the willingness for people to leave the comfort of their homes and risk their lives through the utilization of fear. And fear of scarcity is the greatest human fear. And scarcity begats war. So create abundance. Will that end war and poverty in the world? No. You creating abundance on your homestead and sharing it with your neighbors? No. But it's one more example that it can be done. And then we need to think on how we... And I don't like using this word, but I don't have a better one for it right now. Industrialize abundance of the good. But at the individual level. Not a factory that ships abundance, but a system which creates abundance, local economies, and encourages real trade between equals. And this is the thing you have to understand. The reason all this supposed great trade that we have and all these systems, the reason it's not fair trade, and it can't be, Trade and sharing can only occur legitimately between equals. You can't share with me if I point a gun to your head and say, hey, I'm kind of hungry, I have some food. It's extortion. If we both have a gun, we both leave it in the holster, and I don't threaten you and you don't threaten me and you choose to give me some food, sharing between equals. Neither of us have a gun, sharing between equals. The minute I'm pointing my gun at you and I have more power than you, it's not sharing, it's extortion. Trade? Hey, will you take this for that? No, I point a gun at you. It's not trade. It's extortion. Maybe you were tendered some consideration, but not what you wanted. It can't be fair. That gun doesn't have to be a gun. It could be a debt from one country to another. It could be a million different forms of hard and soft power. But it all stems from the belief in scarcity and the artificial creation of scarcity. So we need to create abundance and local community. Just do it. Everything else we discussed leads you there anyway. You can't take one meaningful step. And I don't want everybody here to change their lives forever. I don't think it's possible. I don't think most people will do it. But if, if you took one meaningful step in each of these nine areas, or eight other eight areas, you're going to start building community. Talk to people. Learn their names. Start building local community. Form relationships. Look for a problem locally. Start putting together people interested in solving it. And, and I'll let it be at that today because the community one is the one we talk about the most, the one that we have the most ease of access into doing, and we tend to act on the least. Just do it. There's going to be more problems. There's more than these nine. But aren't these nine problems a good start? And the big thing I said about these is they would be simple. You've been like, you might have been like going through this Man, a lot of that shit's not simple, Jack. Fighting Pfizer, not simple. Fighting the, the artificial authority of science as a gilded institution and an industry versus a respected process, not easy. Or not simple. But it is simple. You just do your one little piece. You learn and you move on and you teach others. It's very simple. It's not easy. Simple is a thing you can do. If it were easy, everybody would do it. There's no doubt we're going uptide here. You know, one of the like exercises that we kind of do, we think it's kind of fun in the summer, we have a big round above-ground pool, perfect circle. So we all get in the pool, and we start walking in the same direction, spaced out. And we walk faster and faster. We're actually running in the water. And we keep doing it. We keep doing it. Until it's moving so fast, basically you're, it's almost like you're being carried along by the stream. And then for the exercise, the real exercise portion, everybody stops, 
turns around and sees how fast we can break the flow. It's not easy. Your legs burn. Your arms, if you leave them under the water, they burn. My niece, when she was little, ended up holding on to the freaking stairs with sticking straight out to the side, like giggling and laughing and yelling at the same time. It was too much for her. It wasn't easy to break that, that fast, rapid vortex we created together. But it was simple. Turn around and go the other way. Turn around, go the other way. And at some point, maybe somebody else in that pool looks at you and says, what is he up to? What is she up to? And they'll turn around and they go the other way. Then there's two. Then there's four. And then there's eight. Then there's 16. 32. 64. 128. And so you don't get bored. It keeps going from there. Because somebody turned around. Somebody went the other way. Somebody decided that not only were they going to go upstream, they were going to change the direction of the stream. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that one, and I hope you take it to heart. I hope you realize there are things we can all do. Little bits here and there. If we start building more of this resiliency and this freedom and this liberty into our lives, and we make ourselves a little bit more free, a little bit more separated from the systems of control, and demonstrate that it's possible, then we help make the world a little bit more free, a little more entrepreneurial, a little more sustainable, dare I say a little bit more regenerative, and we help move forward. This is something that always has to start small. There's all these these promises of this great ideology here and there, these great systems here and there, and they all, they all in the end give us the illusion that if we just wait, these things will occur. It won't happen. We have to do it for ourselves. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, one of the ways you can help support us is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. You know, when it comes to liberty, a lot of that is building systems of support right in your own backyard, on your homestead, in your neighbor's backyard, like we talked about today. Um, you need tools for that. I know we've talked about separating from things some today, but in the end, if you want to build systems, you need tools. One of the tools that's become one of the most versatile tools I own and I never realized how versatile it was until I bit the bullet and bought one, is a cordless angle grinder. Being a DeWalt guy, of course, 20-volt cordless angle grinder. Um, I have always recommended people have at least like a little $25 Black & Decker plug-in uh, grinder because it's not a thing that I use all the time. But what I found out is when I got rid of the cord and I was able to go places with my grinder without dragging stuff to there or running a cord started reaching for it a lot more, and I started learning a lot more about what it can do. It's become one of the most versatile tools in my shop now. And today I was checking out Amazon Renewed, which I won't go deep into today because I've talked about it before, but they're basically returned items that they market as though they are somehow refurbished. They're not. They're, they're mostly items that somebody bought, decided they didn't want, found a better deal somewhere else, their wife yelled at them, so they sent it back, etc. So it's like buying a brand-new item at a discount. They have their 20-volt uh, angle grinders on Renewed today, for $100, bucks, $99. Um, they normally sell for about 140 The last time these things were in any quantity on Renewed, because when they're gone, they're gone, right? Uh, there were seven. I bought one. I texted some friends, and they were gone in like an hour. Like all the friends I texted bought one. They were DeWalt people. Um, it doesn't say how many they have in stock. So that means their stock's probably pretty good. But 
This is a tool, if you've been waiting to add it, go ahead and add it, and add it now while it's available and it's affordable. And if you are of another uh, tool line, like if you're a Milwaukee guy or a Rigid guy or something like that, you know, always consider checking out when you know, you know, you know there's something you should be adding to your toolkit. Check Renewed from time to time on Amazon. I, I have a link to the article I did on it explaining it all uh, in today's write-up as well. So there you go. But remember... Whether you need a grinder, a tool, or anything, if you're going to shop online, start, start your shopping at tspaz.com, and you'll help us out no matter what you buy. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up. I appreciate everybody for tuning in today. Um, Song of the Day is something that will return soon. For now, though, we are sticking to The Revolution Is You, the song that's it couldn't be a better fit for today's show. It really couldn't. Hope you had a great. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way Others will follow We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're leaving.